Hello. Welcome to Balance and Moderation, a podcast dedicated to helping health-conscious individuals elevate their mind, body, and spirit through a compassionate and realistic approach. In today's episode, Cher and I have a conversation around masculine archetypes. I just read an awesome book that is based off Jungian psychology, and it's all about the masculine and living in your fullness of your masculine and also the shadow side. And we get into a discussion about how it kind of affects our own personal lives and really the greater world as it be. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review and share this podcast with the people you love. Big love is our motto and our messages for everyone. Well, not everybody over 18 as some content may be inappropriate for minors. That being said, enjoy Masculine Archetypes. Yeah. So, you know, just another day of technical difficulties with yeah. uh, your boy, Rob. It's all good. It's all good. It's all I, good. Well, I, I can't read, so. <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> we watched 50 First Dates oh, uh, the what? other night. God, I'm so bad with movies. Tell me, like, who's in the movie. Adam again. Sandler and Drew Barrymore. It's oh, a little yeah, yeah, older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's she forgets. One. Yes. It's kind of creepy, but at the same time, it's like the cutest rom-com, I think, ever. I remember. I have seen that before. Yeah. I have such terrible memory with movies, mostly because I fall asleep during every single movie I've ever watched. Like, I cannot lay down on the couch when I'm watching a movie because I will fall asleep in 30 minutes. I have no tolerance for movies. I just, I like, sorry to all the movie buffs out there, but like, I literally couldn't give less of a shit. I don't know if I'm generalizing, but it seems like that's the case with a lot of women. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, we're talking about masculine archetypes today, but I'm not trying to like <laughs> cross, you know, you know, Robbie, put a how divide dare between you? men and, how dare men and you women. say such a thing? I just feel like every girl that I have, you know, watched a movie, like uh, I'd say 80% of the time that I've watched a movie with a girl where it wasn't like the first, you know, week or two that we knew each other, they were just out of like, once they are comfortable with me, just bam, out every time the movie got on. So We're just sleepy girls. Just sleepy just, girls. We just like to chill. Women do, I know just biologically and stuff, women do actually need more sleep than men do. All right. Please tell Barrett that because he <laughs> always gets mad at me. I get, I don't know, eight to nine hours of sleep yeah. a night regularly and he gets six or seven. And then he's always like, why are you so tired? You must be sleeping too much. And I say, no. I just need this amount of sleep. It's just what what my body needs. But yeah. I could also be compensating. So I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, I I like read it's it's some way. I think it's I think it has to do with you know women's brains are very multitask, so that is actually a lot more taxing just, than just like hyper focusing on stuff. So that can be part of it. And then I don't multitask very well. Yeah, at all. Um, I'm do I do really well at hyper focusing, but I need to focus on just one thing. And if I get disrupted from a task, then it, I get really mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, we were kind of talking about that, like I know we both kind of have similar brains in the way they operate. It's kind of like an ADHD thing, right? Yeah, like, it Just is. like hyper-focus, like mm -hmm. a little obsessive. Yeah, and it's not even like, just to kind of touch on that real quick, it's not that 
I can't focus or we can't focus, we actually focus really well if it's A, something that we're interested in and B, we can just invest all of our energy into it. But the thing that I have to remember is when I'm in a state of hyper-focus to be able to take myself out of it because I know this this is definitely like not a healthy behavior, but I have a habit of like forgetting to eat, forgetting to drink water, forgetting to go to the bathroom, forgetting to move my body. Like I can literally dive into a project for like six to eight hours on end, feel like nothing happened. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm in horrible mood because I just hyper-focus on a project for eight hours. And then I'm like, well, I what what just happened? It's, it's like I black out almost. I mean, you kind of get in the flow state because yeah. the whole thing about flow state is manipulating um, the challenge of it, interest in it, and um, challenge, interest, and novelty of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, if, if something is... Inter- obviously, if something's interesting to you, I mean, you're, I think it's a little bit challenging probably. It's stimulating, you know, just get in that flow state. Yes. Flow state is awesome, but I sometimes have to like set myself a timer. I'll even have to set myself reminders like, Hey, don't forget to drink water. Hey, don't forget to like eat a snack. But you know, if you know how to work around it, then you got to set boundaries. Yes. You got to be, you got to be a king in your life. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into what we're talking about a little bit. Today is an episode about the masculine, about kind of four arche- the four archetypes it comes from Carl Jung who was a groundbreaking psychologist who just has a lot of different works uh, it's called Jungian I think psychology I always thought it was Jungian <laughs> Jungian it does look like Jungian <laughs> so yeah but Carl Jung a you know I don't I don't know you know I'm not super in the psychology world but his stuff I kind of get down with and it makes sense. And yeah, he's a little bit more of a holistic psychologist from his time era. When was he uh, prominent? Was that like the early 1900s? I think so. Yeah, so he was a very forward thinker, kind of integrated spirituality, I want to say, into psychology before that was really a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely has a little bit more of a holistic scope on how to bring things like the divine masculine and the divine feminine and um, death and rebirth into practical terms. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting what you're putting down. Sweet. Yeah. So, but I mean, he, he's, he's pretty awesome. Um, And I read a book by a guy, Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette, which I think are union dudes. I don't know Jung's, what, I don't know what they call them, but it's called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, Rediscovering the Archetypes of the Mature Masculine. And archetypes, what would you say an archetype is? An archetype is like a symbolism. It's like a structure. It's, it's um, I guess, almost has... Uh, repeatable patterns that are commonly seen. Is yeah. that what you say archetypes are? I would say that it's somewhat of a fluid identity, but an identity nonetheless, something that you feel resonates with you, your patterns, your synchronicities, kind of the way that you operate in the world, but also identifies like your strengths and weaknesses and how to overcome those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's basically, uh, you know, you, you, Carl Jung broke down the masculine into four main archetypes, king, warrior, magician, lover, that also have a bipo- bipolar dysfunctional side. And I think what you're seeing a lot today is there's also four different archetypes that correspond with the immature masculine, the boyhood. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to get into those, but they all kind of lead into each one of the king, warrior, magician, and lover. And basically, I think, you know, just while we're talking about masculine and masculinity, there's a term toxic masculinity that, that's thrown around a lot. And I think you can see toxic masculinity because as we go through the shadow forms, it'd be like, oh yeah, that is, you know, the Me Too movement or that is this. You know, it's all these... It's basically the shadow form. Masculinity is not bad. The shadow form of masculinity is bad. Yeah, so I'm just kind of going to take take a step back and look at the um, the whole picture right now. So really the reason why we wanted to have this conversation is one, because we want, I wanted Robbie to drive a little bit more of a spiritual, psychological episode because I love his perspective on things. And I think sometimes he's very rooted in his lower chakras. And I'm like, buddy, we got to, got to open up that throat chakra a little yeah, get bit up more. There. <laughs> uh, but two, it's, I think that whether you um, are a man or a woman or even present somewhere in between, hashtag it's Pride Month. We love you guys. Um, it's important to recognize that we have both divine masculine and divine feminine energy within all of us. And there definitely has been a pushback on masculine energy. Um because of these toxic masculine traits, like you were saying, definitely playing into more of the immature boy aspects. So we're not really seeing evolved masculine energy present in our community, in our culture, in our power structures. And that's why it's definitely been getting fingers pointed at it recently. But the solution to overcoming that immature boy energy is not by suppressing masculine energy because then that creates an imbalance in the system. If we're completely feminine, then we don't have the ability to take our power back. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? There's this dynamic of giving and receivership and that Mm -hmm. has to be balanced. And so masculine energy is very giving and I think we have to learn how to give our gifts properly into the world so that we can be more productive. We can be more, you know, present with others and actually create conscious action, not just like destructive action like we've been seeing a lot. Definitely. And I, and I like the way you put that. And you know, it's funny is, is I think sometimes, you know, you see things and, you know, the masculine versus feminism or like. But the feminist movement, you see these like different layers of feminism and then, you know, you have, they can go very to a point which I don't, you know, necessarily agree with, I think goes the other way where they're just, they're saying feminine, but they're expressing toxic masculine traits. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, this is not really a talk about, you know, politics and the state of the world. It's something that I've kind of, you know, you said you got to kind of get up in your spirit a little bit. I've been trying to take a step back and instead of reading things about the structure of the body, more about the structure of the mind. And this is a book that I've heard a lot of different people that I look up to talk about. And 
for me, it was actually, it, it's just a great framework, not just for men, but anybody that feels more masculine in their self. It's a great framework to kind of, I think you said it before, you know, kind of look at the patterns in your life, kind of realize where maybe you fall in line there and you fall out of line in other spots. And it's a good, it's a good framework that if you put the pieces together, you can live a pretty great life and a, a whole complete content life. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would say, you know, there's four archetypes. And so, yeah. yeah, So would you say that we typically fall into a primary archetype and then the other ones aren't as relevant in our life? Or should we seek to have balance of all four of these archetypes in our life? Yeah, I think the goal is balance of everything. And the king, so there's four. There's king, warrior, magician, lover. Mm-hmm. The king is kind of the first and more important one. It sets boundaries without having being in like a centered kingly place. The other archetypes can be completely out of balance. And that's generally where you see them go into that bipolar shadow form. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so explain the king a little bit more. I want to hear yeah, kind we of can like kind of go one by one. Yeah, yeah. What are like the empowered traits of the kings, and what does it look like when the king is out of balance? Yeah. So when we think of like kings, like archetypes are great in the symbolism. I know I was doing a little research, and they kind of were equating different, um, you know, cinematic characters and stuff. You look at uh, like Gladiator, or King Leonidas, or any movie kind of about like a really a noble king, not really like being the dark side of a king. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's first in importance. It's its primary functions are providing order and giving fertility and blessing. Interesting. So, yeah. how would that show up? in kind of more of a spiritual sense, I guess, because just providing fertility, like, yeah, kings can like spread his seed and shit like that. But what does that mean as far as like being an empowered provider? As far as from a spiritual aspect, I think it would be any time that you're, you know, a king is a gardener or a shepherd. So anytime that you're cultivating an environment that is inviting towards other people's spirituality or being at peace with your own spirituality, kind of giving your life, like I said, that environment kind of fertile to ideas and being in kind of an open mind, but not a susceptible open mind, I guess, from a spiritual standpoint. Okay. So kind of treating your mind like a garden. And yeah. are, are you watering your garden? Are you creating fertile ground for your garden? Or are you just letting your garden go rampant and there's weeds all in your garden and nobody's really taking care of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, I think for any growth in life, you have to have some order. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you, you can't, become proficient at a skill if you don't get up in the morning early and go work on that skill or, you know, you're not dedicating hours a day and you have a regimented practice schedule, you're not really going to excel. Like, so the king is just kind of keeps order in the entire life. So whether that's Mm -hmm. spiritual being, you know, oh, I don't feel like, like, no, you got to meditate today because when you meditate today, you're in a better headspace, you're more calm, you you make better decisions and just kind of keeping yourself within those boundaries. So it sounds like there is like, Balance, discipline, and boundaries are really like core qualities to the king. Yeah. Okay. So are there any other qualities that like make a king or do you want to share the imbalances? 
just, you know, a king is very calm and centered, you know, just kind of what you would think would be a good father or a good husband, supportive, protective, you know, but not to the, you know, nurturing, not, but not to the point where, you know, he still kind of has a hold of everything. Like it's done in a, in a piece, in a centered way that it's not like, you know, his wife's running the show, you know what I mean? Or, you know, the kids are running the show, which you see, you know, I think the big thing, it doesn't matter female or male. It seems like a lot nowadays is you'll see a lot of relationships where it's one or the other a lot of times. And I think that's when you find that balance between masculine and feminine is when you get that king queen bond where it's like this mutual ruling of each other's lives. Yeah, no. And I just, that's, that's really fascinating because a theme that's been coming up or at least some downloads that I've been getting recently is um, about that balance between the divine masculine and the divine feminine energy. There was actually a video I saw where this woman was talking about how she doesn't like it when guys are quote unquote too nice. And she always gets comments from other people saying, oh, well, do you want someone that's mean to you? And her reasoning is that no, she doesn't want someone that's mean, but she does want someone that's dominant, someone that's assertive, someone who is so strong in their divine masculine energy that it provides her the ability to balance out and come into more of her divine feminine. So she has a very strong divine masculine, uh, you know, composition to her. And in order for her to feel nourished in a relationship and be able to become that more yielding, nurturing, receptive, divine feminine woman, she needs someone who is going to basically dominate over her already present masculine energy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. And I think, I think it goes on both sides. I think that's a key aspect of a relationship and can be one of the more difficult sides of it is sometimes you got to look at your partner and be like, yo, you're a little out of alignment and I'm not, I'm not going to put up with it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Cause you can't, you know, you got to have order to a relationship or else it's going to fall apart. Yeah. And I think boundaries is something that always uh, tends to be an area of conflict in relationships uh, because you love someone so much that you're like, well, I don't want to step on their toes and I don't want to tell them how I really feel because I don't want to like rock the boat. But you're not doing anyone a favor by doing that. You yeah. know, you're just growing in your resentment towards that individual, yourself, and then the other person is not being called to action to, you know, up-level and evolve. And I think that's the most important thing in relationships is having somebody that pushes you to evolve to the next highest, best version of yourself. Yeah, and I think you just touched on what the shadow, the bipolar shadow form is. So there's two poles to the to the shadow form and you kind of touched on both. It's kind of the tyrant and the weakling Mm. and the weakling would be more on what you were talking about where, you know, you kind of just let everything go, you know, just, yeah, weakling, letting everything go, lack of center, security, paranoid, sometimes like envious of others. And then that gets into the tyrant where, it's kind of like both sides. It's really the same feeling. It's a feeling of inferiority. It's a feeling of out of control of the situation, out of your own life. And then you can react in two ways. You can become weakling and frozen and kind of fall apart and just let your partner walk all over you. 
or you can become a tyrant and force the other person to submission and doing it in a way that is not beneficial to, you know, it's never, if you have to force something, it's usually not beneficial to other people and would be like the tyrant. And you see that a lot in, unfortunately, a lot of political leaders, a lot of, you know, if you look at societies too, you know, if you track, you know, lineages of kings and, and the different, um, what word am I looking for? Civilization, like great civilizations. At some point, they had good kings and they had bad kings. And generally, when you had a few bad kings in a row, that's when things kind of fell apart mm-hmm. and the tyrant. Yeah. And even just kind of thinking about, you know, not just from a political point of view, but even just from power structures in general, you can see this in business, in uh, friend groups and whatever. It's like there's a couple domineering uh, personalities and nobody wants to step on anybody's toes or maybe they're like physically in a place where this person is marked as a superior rank to the other and so those that are of an inferior rank are like well I'm not gonna talk shit about Becky because Becky's my boss but really you know Becky's fucking fucking up and she's fucking up this whole uh company for example yeah and so there's this weakling dynamic of I know there's something wrong but I don't have the power within me to stand up to them and then this tyrant mentality of I'm so insecure in myself that I'm just going to go balls to the wall and assert my dominance over other people um when really what they're looking for is it's it's a cry for help, you know. Yeah. And they don't a lot of tyrants I don't think know how to accept help or outside opinions like they can't really look at things from a balanced point of view so that would definitely go against the empowered actions of the king being able to weigh different perspectives different options and come to the best solution not just for themselves but for their whole community yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean i don't know it's tyrant and weakling and finding that balance in between those two i think you know obviously it's everything is kind of balanced. You know, you got to find balance. And I, I, I think that's a, a good term for the king is just being balanced. And mm-hmm. if you have balance in all, in all of your life, if you know when to be passive and when to be aggressive, and that kind of leads into the warrior, and that's where the king kind of governs the warrior. It's kind of that difference between, I guess we can kind of start with the shadow form of the warrior a little okay. bit. I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of mix it up a little bit. Yeah, let's mix it up. You know, I think the, it talks about in the book that out of all the archetypes, this is the one that gets repressed the most because mm. I think it gets out of whack pretty easily in the most. And the shadow forms are the sadist or the masochist. Oh, you know, like either like enduring pain, like just absorbing abuse, taking it, or you're just giving it out and you're like almost bloodlust, like enjoying the cruelty of it. It's like the shadow form of the warrior. So when this one gets out of hand, this is where, you know, murder happens. This is where bad things happen. And the issue with that is the, the void of people being allowed to express their warrior in the proper way, mm-hmm. I think causes this explosive reaction on the shadow form. Because when you repress something, it just kind of bubbles. And I think they used in the, in the book the metaphor of, you know, a volcano, like there's still stuff under there. Like just cause you can cover the earth doesn't mean there's not liquid magma boiling up ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so the warrior, just as much as it's the most repressed, it's probably one of the more important ones. It's, it's a way that we progress. It is 
the side of us that can protect our loved ones. It's the side of us that can go after it and go get that promotion or, or you know, make that new sale or, or create that new thing kind of allows you to act. And the, the reverse side of it is overacting or completely underacting. So it's kind of an action archetype. You know, how are you kind of going through your life and having boundaries as a king, you know when to pull back the aggression or let it go, for, let it, let it kind of ramp up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I definitely think that this is something that when we think of toxic masculinity, this is definitely, um, targets the warrior archetype the yeah. most because it's, you know, you'll see guys that are always overreaching, always trying to move their projects forward without regard of other people. Or maybe they do have a couple of people that they love and they're particularly close with, but they don't know how to um, express their love any other way than by going completely balls to the wall. And then there's other people who are so afraid of going after what they want that they completely repress that side of themselves and almost like accept a mediocre life. Yeah. You know, so interesting. And I mean, they're all kind of, you know, it's kind of the tyrant form of it and the weakling form of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the two sides, but just some stuff I wrote down. So more on the, the warrior and his full and his fullness you know, a good side. And the thing that we're repressing a lot of, and I think one of the great qualities of the masculine is the warrior. You know, it's what gives us protection and what's, it, it's what allows us to expand and, and push the human race forward. Um, aggression that, that rouses, energizes, and motivates life. You know, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily an, an aggressive, you know, there's such a negative connotation, connotation when you say aggressive. But what if you're aggressively happy? <laughs> what if you're aggressively in the pursuit of, of living a happy life? Like, what if you're aggressive in, in, you know, a charity? You know, what if you're aggressive, you know, and donate? You know, there's a lot of good things you can be aggressive about. And, and the thing that really holds it is the warrior that's a, you know, even though they're aggressive, they're alert and mindful. They're mindfully aggressive. They understand you know, they have the temperance. They know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And it's that hunter kind of tactician mentality, that kind of going for it, getting after it. And another interesting part of the warrior archetype, it's like kind of the awareness of death. Mm. And it's kind of that idea of understanding that life is short and you got to kind of seize the moment a little bit. And like the, the proof is in the pudding. Like you want to like, you know, like life is life and you got to kind of go after it and you should be living life full of energy and aggression towards love and stuff and you know a b and c because you never know when your your time's gonna go i like that a lot something that kind of stood out to me when you were talking about how the warrior is mindful and focused and very tactful it almost reminds me more of like a ninja so that um i think you know, even just in my mental concept, warrior has a little bit of a negative connotation to it, just the word, because it's, um, the way that I see warriors a lot play out in life are just like brute, like brute force, like without regard for human life and will kind of go at anything mindlessly. But 
that's not really true in this case. And so I think it's cool to kind of take a step back and um, even kind of look at it through more of a like divine warrior archetype, more of that ninja Taoist type organization where they are so disciplined of the mind that they can push through any mental limitations to be able to physically manifest what it is they want to bring into their life. They're like, I don't care if you say it's impossible. I'm at least going to try because life is too short for me not to. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. would you rather do something and it not work out or regret never having tried? I think that's a good ideology for for the warrior. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, you know, the shadow form and something you hear a lot of days, oh, that person is a savage. And like, that's the difference. It's like the ninja versus like the Viking or the pirate or something mm-hmm. like, you know, just very out of control, probably a very good metaphor for the, the shadow warrior. Yeah. And so... I always mix them up. The sadist is the one who's like taking all the pain, right? No, sadist is uh, cruel. Like, oh, like and see, almost, you know. I always forget. Let's rage take over and just kind of, you know, it's it's. There's two sides of it. There's a pa- There's a a passionate and a and an unpassionate side to it. Like sometimes your 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 masochist or your and your weakling part of your king can get so like thrown off that you like snap and you lose it, and that's where you hear of like people just like you know, going insane and going postal and all those kind of things, you just kind of go snap. And there's sometimes where, you know, and then the, the darker side would be when you're aware of it, that's when you really get to that, like sadist, like, like you and like, you know, you, you throw in a couple extra punches to the guy that you got in a fight with at the bar, like that kind of, you know, little dark shit. So how do you think, we've kind of talked about how the sadist shows up in society. How do you think the masochist shows up in like our day to day life? I think I think a lot of men now take a lot of abuse. And I think that I talk about this and I'm going to sound like such a douchebag, but I think it's a problem that boys don't get into fights anymore. Okay. I got into fights. I only got into a couple really maybe like a few like when I was real young that really don't count like but like middle school, high school, a couple fights, college, Another couple fights, but probably, you know, I probably should have avoided those. Those were, but, you know, I think something that fighting does as a boy is everybody gets bullied. And at some point, if you never got in a fight, you never really stood up to the bully and you never really had that. We were talking about initiation off air. You never have that confidence to say, you know, to your boundary was crossed and you're going to go defend that. That's part of what the warrior does. The warrior defends the boundaries. It can be that kind of person. So whenever you just let your boundaries get continually crossed, you accept that bullying. You kind of get in the mentality of, of fighting and uh, like, you know, fighting is bad and, oh, just take it, poor me. Like that kind of mentality, which honestly, you know, I'm not trying to point fingers, you know, and I deal with this at some point and stuff, but I don't know. I've always tested that that masochist and I don't think a lot of guys have that tested at a young age and it's present in society it's what happens why a person you know with like with the me too movement you can have a ceo that's sexually harassing all the women because no none of the men in that office will stand up and stop him mm. you know the kind of people that's that sit aside and watch somebody get beat up 
you know, there's 10 guys sitting around watching a guy get beat up and not breaking up the fight, you know? Yeah, it kind of sounds like bystander effect, yeah, honestly. Pretty where, much. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with the bystander effect, if you ever feel that you're more comfortable in a situation that might be dangerous because there's a lot of people around you, you might want to rethink that because the bystander effect shows that the more people that are around when a dangerous situation is happening, the less hands-on everyone as a collective is because every individual in that group is just going to assume, oh, well, somebody else is going to intervene. Somebody mm -hmm. else is going to take take the lead, but it's not going to be me. I'm not going to do that because I don't, you know, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I have the power within myself to do anything. And it's, um, it's unfortunate, honestly, you know, and even like for me, it's like I am a small petite woman. If a, there's a fight breaking out, I'm probably not going to go intervene with my physical body, but I'm probably going to go utilize my resources and be like, okay, I'm going to acquire somebody who can intervene into this situation, whether it's an authority or, you know, if Robbie's in the group, I'm going to be like, yo, go intervene in that. Like <laughs> I, I'm going to go call somebody that can help. So different things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, you know, you see videos of like girls getting like hit at a bar by like some dude and like everybody just kind of stands around. It's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I remember I was in a bar in college and a guy pushed his girlfriend to the ground and I like looked around, nobody did anything. And then I just like grabbed him and like went after him and then it got all like broken up. And it was, but it was like, everybody else just was watching me do it. It's not like everybody was like, that guy just abused a woman in front of us. We should kick the shit out of him. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I see that a lot. And, you know, there's different ways you can overcome fears and other facets of life. But I think as from a young age of getting over that physical fear of other people, it, it kind of helps you get over fears of everything else in your life. Like if you're ready to physically defend yourself, then you'll emotionally defend. I feel like a lot of times I'll emotionally defend myself a lot easier. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of psychology of it a little bit. But. Yeah. Well, even just going back to something that we've talked about on previous podcasts, you know, you say if you want to feel confident and secure within yourself, you need to be physically strong because that physical strength shows you like, hey, I actually can take care of myself. I know the power of not just my body, but also my mind and also my spirit. So you don't get knocked down as easily, whether it's something that's actually happening in real time or something that's happening, you know, from a more energetic space, you're not as, you're not as weak when you're physically strong. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, and you know, the, what's that book? The body keeps a score or whatever. Like your body knows if you're vulnerable, yeah. like if you're weak, so you're going to live life a little more anxious. You're not going to have that presence that you need to have. Mm -hmm. so, exactly. You know, warrior something that probably out of, out of these archetypes i probably one of the ones that i've probably had most in check mm -hmm. since you know as soon as i got into martial arts i think that's you know i think that's why martial arts is important for people i think i think especially men trying to express their masculine you know it it gives discipline and order and it makes you that mindful warrior yeah. and that's where you see the level up you know, the big tough guy at the bar is never the guy that becomes the champion. The guy that becomes the champion is the guy that can play chess, you know, in the, in the ring. So. Absolutely. And I think cool. it's, I think it's important for, for women too to 
engage in some sort of martial arts training or even just self-defense training because mm-hmm. if you know how to get out of a physically unsafe situation, you're going to feel a lot more emotionally secure in any sort of relationship that you're in. Yeah. Well, I think I'm pretty sure, I don't remember them all, but I'm pretty sure there's a warrior aspect to the female archetypes as well. So that's Mulan, baby. M- Mulan. That's, Let's go. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome. Yeah, and you know, and like I said, you know, that's where it comes in, you know, hopefully you see some of these things in your life too. And it's like, it's not just, and that's the, that's the thing with me is I understand that I still probably got a lot of work to do on my feminine too, mm-hmm. but we all got to find that, that balance, that cohesiveness between both. So exactly. So we're, we're running a little long. So, yeah, it's so this, this, this is going to be a good one. So um, the next is the magician. So when you think of magician, what do you, what do you think of? Um, I think of, I honestly think of kind of a trickster. So someone who's able to like maneuver different situations and show externally that he's doing one thing, but he's doing something else behind the scenes. And then when he actually shows what he's been working on, it's like the audience is so surprised surprised or so shocked or taken aback that they're like, whoa, I didn't realize this was even happening. Like, and this might either provoke joy or fear or excitement or whatever the case may be. But it's like, there's some level of I'm presenting one thing to you and I am holding other information or working on something behind the scenes so that I can bring the full scope to the table without you really knowing. Yeah, so you just kind of described the shadow form of it. Okay, so that, like the detached manipulator, somebody that uses their knowledge for evil, or maybe like a professor that continually like has to prove to his students that he's great, so he'll like tear apart their ideas and stuff and kind of ruin mm. enthusiasm. Oh, um, so that's one of the 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 shadow forms of the magician. But the magician would be, you know, coming from like a story standpoint, would be like a Gandalf. A, a Dumbledore, a like kind of knowledge, you know, has a different knowledge beyond common sense, like a, a higher knowing, a little bit more of like technical proficiency in different things. You know, you could consider like a great musician, a magician. Mm-hmm. So that kind of all rolls together. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like a clarity reflection to somebody that like understands the mind on a little bit of a deep, deeper level. You know, I think we all can kind of have that if we all kind of have that magician and treat understanding ourselves like a skill or knowledge to be had, not something that just like happens out of nowhere, mm-hmm. then we could all kind of progress and be better in life. I like that. Yeah. I think something that resonates for me from the magician is like the alchemist. So someone yeah. who turns um, either nothing into... Oh, goodness. Hello. Um, Nothing into something or someone who takes like two different ideas that seems um, like not related or maybe not uh, mixable and then brings them together into a final product that's better than the two things as Mm -hmm. individuals. So you said that uh, we covered one side of the um, disempowered or the, you know, bipolar Deficiency? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. Bi- bipolar dysfunction 
dysfunctional form. Okay. So, I mean, there's two poles of it. It's all like a pyramid. Like yeah. these things sit on the bottom and then they, you know, in the middle at the top above all the bullshit is the the fullness. Got you. So the the negative side to the, the pole or the opposite of the detached manipulator is the denying innocent one. And, okay. and that would be, it's it, the different things are like people that just kind of take them out of society because they're too good you know, kind of knows enough just to kind of be a hater, but doesn't actually pursue the knowledge to a level. Like the knowledge is there to tear down instead of to build up and kind of just omits from life, you know, just doesn't really, you know, kind of walking around to sleep, like just not being aware of the, like other people or your mind or how your body functions, kind of just going through the motions of life. And not really seeking out higher knowledge, just kind of accepting things as they are. Okay. So initially when you were first explaining that, I was thinking of someone who was like an isolationist, someone who thinks that they're it's better than like, everybody. It's kind of like, yeah. Kind of, I mean. But then you started explaining, you know, how they don't have like a drive to uh, expand themselves yeah. anymore. And I, and I don't know if I think that it's an isolationist sort of thing. I think it's almost more of just like a, um, I, I can't come up with the word, like a, uh, it's like when you wave in the, the white flag, like oh, sur surrendering. Yeah. Yeah. It's like but not really surrendering, in but a not good like way. true surrender. <laughs> not like, a, but like giving up, giving, giving up. <laughs> it's exact giving up. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, that's, that's what it is. Kind of giving up and kind of just omitting yourself, but kind of doing it in a pompous way. Like, Oh, I know better than these people can be like that kind of yeah. too. I mean, these aren't like exact things. These are just kind of patterns to, oh, to but, kind of bring to mind. But that makes a lot of sense. You know, people who, um, choose to stop growing, get so attached to their ideologies and their way of life that they think that it's the only way, but they've stopped growing. They've stopped learning. They've stopped looking at other perspectives. So how do they know that it's the best, yep. best way to live? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think we see that a lot in our country, you know, it, I feel like our generation, the millennial Gen Zers are starting to break away from the, oh, you stop growing after 25, I think. You know, not necessarily our parents specifically, but our parents' generation, they go through life and then they kind of accept who they are when they're in their 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s, and then that is just their personality for the rest of their life. Their interests, their passions, even like where they live, they just stop moving. Yeah. And um, if if they're content, like that's chill, but I just don't think that's really how you grow as an individual on a more conscious level. I, I think as humans and what, you know, if you really get down to what makes us tick and make what makes us evolve is basically that, is that we're not really content unless we're evolving. And that's just, you know, not evolving in a sense of being in a survival way, but evolving in a sense of always, like you said, always learning. I think that, I think that that's when you see the really big mental decline with the older population is when they hit that point where they're like, oh, I don't got to learn anything else. Like I don't have to kind of, and that begins that downslope into life. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing with the magician is having that awareness and having that insight to know, hey, like. I need to shape up in some ways or I need to stimulate myself a little bit and 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about like my grandma, for example, like my grandma uh, is turning 90 this year and she's awesome. She has definitely lived a very full life and still continues to do so even after outliving two, two marriages. And I think the thing that keeps her going is that she's always working on something. She's playing bridge with her friends. She's active. She plays golf multiple times uh, a month or a couple times a week. Uh, She works on puzzles and Sudoku quizzes and things like that versus other members of my family who are no longer with us, unfortunately. They passed away much younger than my grandma is now uh, because they kind of stopped growing themselves both physically and mentally and even spiritually. They just kind of, you know, kept, you know, drinking and smoking, kept watching TV, kept doing X, Y, and Z that were just not really productive habits. And unfortunately, their minds and their bodies started failing them at a much younger age versus my grandma, who she's, you know, kicking it and she's probably going to keep kicking it for quite a long time. I don't yeah. see any any reason for her not to continue to, to you know, live as awesome of a life as she has been doing for the last 90 years. So, it's just it's just interesting to see that when you are committed to your evolution, it does expand not just your health span but your lifespan too. Yeah. And, you know, if you get to a point in your life where you don't feel like you're kind of deflating yourself and that's like the whole thing is the, the, in a, the denying innocent one just kind of deflates everything. It's just whether it's themselves or others kind of deflates. And yeah, I mean, I like the magician a lot. I, I think the detached manipulator, it's hard. I know that especially with the warrior and the magician, they can get out of whack a little bit in the sales field. Yeah. And definitely see that. And I have to, you know, I'm lucky that, and part of the reason that I kind of bounced around earlier and like now I'm kind of set with this company is I feel a genuine purpose to sell this product. Like I feel like we're the only one in the market. I feel like we're progressing. We are making people's lives better with this product. And I didn't have that before. And so that allows me to be in a more mindful kind of focus and and search for knowledge in a way that I'm not searching for knowledge to make money. I'm searching for knowledge to get the doctor to understand that there is a science behind this and there's a reason this works and there's data to back it up. Yeah. And instead of being like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, schmooze this guy and learn these buzzwords and and try to slip him in and and just be there and over his shoulder and force him, to, you know, there's there's different sides of it. So, you know, I think these all kind of go in in different forms and they kind of go together and um let me see they, they kind of had them you know you can kind of look at the magician and the warrior kind of line up mm-hmm. and so do the king and the lover you can kind of look oh. at them on like the same pyramid they're almost reflections of each other oh interesting that's so, cool i don't know i just kind of noticed that as we were talking about the magician and the warrior they kind of can go kind of hand they kind of have very similar aspects to him almost kind of like yin and yang yeah a little bit of that that's cool so very fascinating and so just to kind of like recap the magician is kind of more the integrationist someone who can uh create different um like create different ideas and perspectives from what's already been created. Somebody who is taking in a lot of information is very like the wise and the 
wise and noble, not in the way that the king is the one who is the all-encompassing boundary keeper, the one who's the most disciplined and keeping order, but more so the one who is harnessing the gifts of the divine mind. Yeah, you could say like, Magician would be like a priest or a pat, like somebody that, you know, obviously there was like kings and then there was still, you know, the church and things like that, or just from a religious, spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. somebody of a little bit deeper knowing. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Like, that's kind of what I got from that. I like the magician. Yeah. The magician is dope. <laughs> you, you definitely ex- express a lot of magician, uh, positive magician traits. So, um, so, you know, we, the warrior and the magician kind of go hand in hand. And then I think the same can be said kind of for the, the, the king and the lover. Mm-hmm. Um, the lover is, is basically something we talk about all the time, or at least in its fullness in the proper form would be basically big love is understanding that ever present love, having a deep, you know, healthy, you know, empathy for all things can be part of it. And then also like, you know, from a mass, like, especially with the masculine standpoint is actually having like a healthy embodiment with the body and not having shame and, and being sensual and being able to show passion. And, and I think for me even too, is kind of be open to your feelings a little bit more. And I think that's so important for men. I think that's another reason why a lot of people are so out of whack is we're still getting with that generational thing of, you know, suck it up, put some dirt on it, like get back, like, you know, boys don't cry, that kind of, that kind of thinking that even was, you know, rampant when I was a younger, a younger kid. Mm-hmm. And it kind of detaches us from our lover, which I think in turn would make us not be able to be a good king because without love you really can't find those boundaries yeah and that's interesting even just like the part about the sensuality i think a lot of men repress themselves uh sexually which we always hear about how women suppress themselves sexually or we're hypersexualized or we're hyposexualized because you know of our bodies and the way that society perceives us and things like that but Men have just as much sexual fervor as women do, but not in the way that we traditionally think of it. It's not like you're just trying to put it in everything. It's just more so like there's a creativity and there's an art to it and just like a pure like fluid nature that a lot of men are so rigid that they don't really tap into that. And I even know like <laughs> this is uh, this is going to be interesting to say on the air but it's like i know guys who say like they won't eat pussy because they're like oh well that just makes me submissive and i'm just like you mean oh. little you mean little boy yeah <laughs> little like, boys fucking. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i'm like this is why we put the inappropriate <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly you know but if you if you don't engage with your partner in totality then like are you really opening yourself up to them fully. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talked about men being repressed sexually and I don't think it's a repression of, you know, them being like women. It's like, you're shamed if you have sex with Mm -hmm. men, it's the repression of the loving side of sex. It's the, just getting out there and mindlessly going after it and repressing you know, some sensuality and, and really lovemaking and, you know, eye contact and just all these little things that you don't, that a lot of dudes, I know, I don't, I mean, I don't know personally, but it just seems like at least talks I've had with people, talks I've had with women and their experiences with other men, 
there's a lack of, like you said, of having that love being deeply sensual and being comfortable. Almost like it's weird. It's like it's so not masculine, or at least the talk, like people think it's not masculine to be soft and loving yeah. and almost accepting like the feminine, you know, yeah. the, that, that kind of, you know, submitting yourself to another person. And I don't think men really kind of, a lot of guys never reach that point. Yeah. And I mean, how many times even when you are having a conversation about sex with a man that they said like, oh, I just fucked this really hot chick rather than, oh, I had sex or I made love to this beautiful woman. Like you don't hear no. guys say, oh, I made love to this beautiful woman. Like your homies would probably be like, what did you do last night? Yeah. But it's like, ah, I, I, I fucked this hot chick. They're like, yeah, bro. Like, let's get it. Like even that is like a symptom of dysfunction of like male sexuality, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you want to talk about, like this is probably, this is, you know, having the lover out of whack is what you see a lot with the Me Too movement. It's it's not being comfortable, and then that that king becomes a tyrant, and it's like I deserve this or I need to get this, and it's like men get so overcharged with they have to go out there and get it, and a lot of guys get depressed if they're not good at getting women or you know have certain traits that make women flock to them, and it causes this super negative cycle. And then when people do become power empowered they become these monsters and these tyrants and it's i don't know it's a it's a scary thing i th i think you know a lot of these the biggest biggest thing is it's funny you go through each of these bipolar shadow forms and it's really you could just like i don't know about you but it's like i'm thinking of different like headlines and news things that like oh that's related to this or that's related to this being out of whack or i had experience with this person in my life or that relationship was bad because you know it's it's just funny i don't know i i, I actually you know you, you wanted me to do an episode like this and i kind of love like I like it too. I love you've, you've, about you've, shit. you've you've done a great job, bud. <laughs> um, but so the the disempowered sides of the lover, um, I think the one that stands out to me the most is like the addict. So yeah. someone who's just like you know the empowered side is like big love, passion for life, maybe not taking things too seriously because they know in their hearts that part of the journey is enjoying the journey. It's not all about the destination. Yeah. And so the addict is someone who's like, I need to be enjoying myself at all times. So it's like very sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that can go way out of balance. So we talked about how the sex can become out of balance, but people who are constantly seeking the next high, whether that's, you know, they're drinking every single night or they're engaging in recreational substances way too often. Like, I mean, we definitely have all known someone who every time we see them, they're stoned or every time they're at the club, they're like, you know, on, on something, their pupils are really big. So you know that they're having a good time, but then I may or may have not been that person at some point <laughs> yeah, in my life. So <laughs> exactly. And it's like, and it's okay to admit that, but yeah. it's like bringing that back into balance and realizing like, okay, there is some, there is a value in being content with having a sober lifestyle. 
you know, and I don't mean just like sober as in, you know, completely void of substances. I mean, sober as in clear headed and content with how life is at this present moment, not needing to alter the situation or your mind's perception in order to accept what is. Exactly. You know, you're kind of just like hitting it out of the park with that one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of that infatuation with only the goods only, you know, part of having big love is understanding that there is evil, there's bad, there's hurt in the world. And that's part of our big, our experience in our life and that we wouldn't have happiness without the other. And that's why, you know, you talk about the seeking continue. It's basically like seeking a continuous orgasm. Yeah. That's how they put it. And, and, you know, I mean, I've had points where I've, I've been like that in my life. You know, I, I, I think this is probably one of one of the ones that I've struggled with more, you know, at least early, like in my throughout my twenties was just kind of having this like rake, you know, you know what like a rake is. Some mm. it's like a a rake is a guy that like gets a girl gets with a girl. It's hot, heavy, like if everything's good for like a few months, and then as soon as it gets to a point where it's comfortable and like he knows that she just wants to be with him then he's just like dip he just dips out uh, like he can never really that kind of like commitment phobe kind you know i was notorious for like it'd be going good for like three months and then i'm gonna blow this shit up like well you're a sag moon robbie like yeah. that <laughs> that makes sense like i hate to say it. i mean because like fire moons like are such passionate lovers but sagittarius is the sign of like the adventurer the explorer never likes to be in one place for too long so that's like the moon is what rules your emotions and your connections to other people and so out of balance you know, a disempowered Sag moon is going to jump from relationship to relationship one after another. But an empowered Sag moon finds that passion, that adventure, that excitement within a evolving, stable relationship. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, I'm going into, you know, over two years with someone I've never been before this point, been with somebody longer than I think like five or six months continuously. Yeah. You know, obviously be off and on and have super, you know, I've had some super toxic shit. Toxic. But I I think that is, that's been the plight of at least not like plight. I don't want to make it sound like it's hard. Like I've enjoyed this process, but kind of coming into this more monogamous relationship structure that I'm in it's it's understanding and loving kind of the hard parts too and loving that you know sometimes there may not be a lot of tension in the room to say but sometimes it's okay cuz like sometimes you just want to fucking relax and just sit next to somebody and not have to be on like mm-hmm. that and 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 finding the finding the love in those things that i think before were like dull in my mind yeah. And like understanding that sometimes the best thing we talked about it before like getting burnt out. Like sure going and seeing friends and and having good times and going out, but I think we're becoming mindful now of like we get burned out and we can easily slip into like any you know any of the archetypes. It's easier to slip into your shadow form if you're burnt out, if you're exhausted, if you're not, you know, finding, you know, and what I'm saying is almost learning to love those moments is where you kind of find that balance in life and that's that's kind of been you know hopefully mine is not too upset about me talking about this shit but <laughs> but I, you know I've really enjoyed enjoyed it I think for a time I was like I'm gonna be in an open relationship I'm not ever gonna be married kind of person yeah. and 
you know, I really like, I think, you know, there was actually, I, I actually have a quote. I remember I, I, I marked this quote down because it kind of talks about the Don Juan syndrome. And that's kind of like, I think what some guys slip into the quote unquote fuck boy uh, kind okay, of, gotcha, you know, gotcha. douchey. Oh, okay. So I, that, that phrase makes so much more sense because I've heard people call themselves the Don or yeah. like Don Sean or something like that. Look at like Don that. Juan, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, what does that mean? So, wow, okay. I don't know who Don Juan, I, like I think it's the idea of just like a machi, like just like sexually uh, like charged. Right, I think like, I said that wrong. <laughs> yeah, but she's, I don't know. But it was talking about the lover and kind of the shadow and it, it says, here's where we see the Don Juan syndrome and where we can touch base with the monogamy slash promiscuity issue again. Monogamy, though not in a simple way, can be seen as a product of a man's own deep rootedness and centeredness. He is bounded not by external rules, but his own inner structures, his own sense of his masculine well-being and calm, and his own inner joy. But the man moving from one woman to another, compulsively searching for he knows not what, is a woman to another, compulsively, or wait, I'm sorry, I read that. Compulsively searching for he knows what is a man whose inner structures have not yet solidified. Because he himself is fragmented within and not centered, he is pushed and pulled around by the illusory wholeness he thinks is out there in the world of feminine forms and sensual experiences. Mm, yeah. I mean, we see, we see that show up a lot. That's for damn sure. Um, but I think the thing that's so fascinating is like when men are afraid to get quote unquote tied down, it's not necessarily that they're afraid of being committed to one individual for the rest of their life. I think it's more so that they're afraid of learning about their shadow sides and coming to terms with their totality of themselves because it shows up as like, oh, I don't want to... Um, get involved. I don't want to open my heart. I don't want to, you know, feel like there's no expansion. There's no exploration there. It's going to get so dull and dry, but it's, I think really what the fear is, is vulnerability mm. and not just being vulnerable with another person, but accepting that vulnerability within yourself and looking deep within and recognizing, okay, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a little boy who gets everything that I want out of life. I am a man and I have my flaws and it's up to me. It's my responsibility to heal myself. Yeah. I think you just put it a great way. And, and yeah, I think that's kind of been a, a help to me in the relationship is kind of slowing down life a little bit and looking into my own flaws and, you know, finally being with a woman that will also call me out on my boundaries and make me look within and try to be a better person. And, and that's why I like these archetypes because, you know, for me, I felt very vulnerable reading this book. I felt a lot of like, honestly, at points I felt, you know, part of the whole process of this book is not feeling shame for things, but I felt a lot of shame like through reading this book and just different times where I was not a good person and, you know, you could link up and it's like, it, it sucks because when it's going through these shadow things, you know, and there's certain varying degrees, like I've never done anything that, you know, has, has caused really that great of harm to people, but just, you know, just like manipulating my parents or, you know, manipulating a situation at work or, or being kind of a tyrant, being that guy like, well, you can't go out because you love me. And like, you know, like trying mm -hmm. to put boundaries on things that aren't your place. Yeah. And kind absolutely. of being out of control in, in a lot of different ways and not even really with just my relationships with other people, but relationships with myself. 
And I think, honestly, that's something a lot of guys don't feel open with doing, is kind of looking within. Yeah. Or at least, you know, we talked about, you know, generations before and like my father's generation, like they're not allowed to talk about mental health. Like they can't talk about, you know, the denying innocent one or the inner weakling or anything like that. So, well, I'm very grateful to live in the, the time period that we're in right now. I feel very grateful to have been born when I was, because it does seem that like I, like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, it really feels like we are leveling up and we are choosing to break away from the hurt or the traumas or the limiting beliefs that our parents, our great parent, great, where's our heart, our great grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're recognizing where our faults are and that, you know, one, it's up to us to heal them and two, that we don't have to repeat this cycle anymore. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it is a choice. And I think a lot throughout life, everything's been presented as, well, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. And there's really nothing you can do about it. I think our culture, our generation is really recognizing, oh, it's a choice. Like Mm -hmm. it's a choice to continue this pattern and I'm making the choice not to continue this pattern anymore. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're right. And I think we see a lot more people kind of come into the forefront and, and not just the masculine, but the feminine end of things. And, and people really having that magician part of them where they're looking in and, and kind of channeling that inner knowing that I think we're all kind of looking for. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed reading this book and I, you know, I, I I feel for dudes sometimes, you know, like we're assholes, you know, toxic masculinity is a thing. Like men have done a lot of fucked up things in this world, but just because men have does it doesn't mean like that specific dude did it. Mm-hmm. And he's going through a lot of shit sometimes. And I've been through a lot of like ups and downs in my life, but you know, I'm not like tooting my own horn, but doing the work and doing this stuff and I'm nowhere near anywhere near where I intend to be because really you know we kind of talked about earlier there, there really is no finish line with this you kind of always got to be growing but i'm getting a lot more comfortable in the space of searching for more within myself i love that i love that and just before we kind of close out um this is just a framework that works really well for me and you can kind of take it or leave it. But whenever you notice yourself being out of balance in any of these categories, whether it's the king, the warrior, the magician, or the lover, when you find yourself oscillating between the, um, what is this word? I always forget it. The The bipolar. Bipolar dysfunction, the Mm -hmm. bipolar dysfunction form. So if you see yourself oscillating more to one side or another and you catch yourself in that moment and you're like, why am I reacting this way? Do a little bit of inner child work. So like you were saying, it is the disempowered boy. It's the little kid who hasn't yet become a man, but that little boy still is a part of you. It's still a part Mm -hmm. of your spirit. I believe that we as individuals, as evolving spirits, we are like trees. So the rings on our tree from when we were first 
created, they're still here with us. They're still present in our form, even though we've come to be this massive oak tree that is no longer a sapling, the sapling still exists within us. And if there was trauma or wounding that either we came in with uh, from previous generations or something that was inflicted on us while we were said sapling, it's still a part of us and it still can come out when we get triggered or um, out of alignment with our spirit, our mind, our physical bodies. And so when you find yourself in those moments of weakness or excess, just go in and kind of this is a great meditative tool is to, you know, go into your heart space and talk to your younger child and say, hey, we don't have to, we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to react like this anymore. And even almost kind of like going back in time and like healing those wounds from when those moments were presented to you, if they are like actually real tangible moments, you can even go back into that time and almost kind of like take child you aside, like, you know, like a coach on a, on a flag football team. You can like take little Robbie aside and be like, hey, Robbie, like, let's talk about things for a little bit. So I found that that's something that really helps me um, in moments when I'm spiraling out of control is doing some inner child work or shadow work or different things like that. There's a bunch of different names for these things, but I found that that's really helpful for me. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a great way to kind of put a cap on this. And really just the theme is, you know, just kind of looking within and and understanding, you know, why we are like we are. Mm -hmm. And so the book again is King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. It is by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. Uh, You know, honestly, like, I don't think it's a bad book for ladies to read either. Yeah. But I, I think definitely for, for, for men, it, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's uncomfortable, but it's, it's a good read. And I think, uh, I think we owe it to society. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so let's, uh, let's close things up, share. I appreciate that, especially that last little, um, tip at the end and looking within and doing shadow work. That's, uh, it's definitely going to help me a lot. So, yeah. um, I well, appreciate I'm- this conversation. Thank you for making me step out of my comfort zone a little bit. You're welcome. <laughs> this was a really fun conversation. It was really cool to see you step up into, into this role a little bit, because I know kind of as our yin and yang expresses itself, uh, I know that you often take on a little bit more of the role of the physical health guru, and I take on more of the role of the spiritual teacher. So it's been fun kind of switching roles and having you drive a little bit more of the mental, spiritual conversations. And I know that I'm planning on stepping up into more of the physical health conversations. So it'll be kind of nice to have that dichotomy, but switching back and forth within it, because while yin and yang is the dark and the light, you find the light within the dark and the dark within the light. So we're just kind of, kind of exploring our own magic, our own journeys. So it's been a lot of fun being able to do that on the podcast with you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Share it. The BAM tribe. tribe. We're all in this together. So share, thank you so much. I look forward to more episodes obviously and especially ones where you kind of step into the physical a little more so everybody please if you like this conversation you know the drill by this point please you know please tap that share button and send it somebody especially if you're a bro like 
You're not a. I, I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna call some people out. You're you're not a you're not a, a a good bro to your bros if you don't send them this episode. So click Word. it, send it to your men, send it to any the girls in their life that are kind of struggling maybe with some negative masculine in their life. And yeah, I think it's a. I, I enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Cher. We're at the Bam Podcast on Instagram. This is Miss Sheridan Lee. She is at the Soul and Science on the instagram and i am at wellness rob thank you for listening today we love you all big love is the mood peace out hey everyone rob here really appreciate you listening to our episode just real quick this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only any personal opinions or views do not replace medical advice Balance and Moderation recommend all listeners embarking on their wellness journey to do so under appropriate supervision by a healthcare provider. Thanks.